If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is where we will be today. One more Sunday to look at the incarnation and the glory of Christmas. Christmas is not just something we celebrate once a year. It's something we celebrate all year long. And I want to spend another week looking at the coming of Christ and what it means in our coming new year. Uh, the next week, excited to let you guys know that we're going to begin a series walking through the book of Mark. Uh, that'll basically take place all next year. Really excited to see the life and death of Christ and resurrection of Christ in the Gospel of Mark. So turn today, Psalm 98, and as we enter into 2021, today we probably, many of us, are making resolutions, we're forming goals, we've got habits that we're trying to work on, or maybe if we're not there, we're, we at least have desires for the new year, we have expectations for the new year, and May we pause right now to ask ourselves the question, why? Why are we doing the things that we are doing? Why are we gearing up to form these goals, to follow these goals, to sacrifice in these ways? What is the why beneath all of that? Simon Sinek got popular. He's a leadership guy, business guy. He got super popular in his TED Talk and his business book to start with the why. And it's, uh, it's kind of surprising, you know, who would have thought that starting with the why would be such a novel idea? Because the Bible is full of the why. The Bible actually paints the why as absolutely uh, of paramount importance and fundamental to everything. Why do we exist? The Bible is full of that language. The, the why according to the Bible, is the stuff of motivations and uh, furthermore is the stuff of worship. If you follow your why, you will find your God. Why you are doing the things that you're doing leads you to the God that you are worshiping. A nutritional plan to ultimately look better is a sacrifice towards the God of physical beauty. A Bible reading plan ultimately so that you can feel better about yourself or so that you can know more than your friends is ultimately a sacrifice towards a God of self-justification and self-worship. Why do we exist? Why should we enter into 2021? May we consider a few verses from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Chronicles 16, 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you and besides you I desire nothing on earth. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. The Westminster Catechism summarizes it this way. It says in answer question format, What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
Why do we exist? Why should we face 2021? Because we exist for the glory of God. Because God is of central importance. We should put Him at the center. Yes, because He is infinitely worthy of our praise, right? He's infinitely, He's objectively, infinitely holy and worthy of our praise. But also, we should praise Him because He then takes His infinite glory and He routes it for our joy and our satisfaction. So it's not meant to be an inauthentic, disingenuous praise of God. It's, it's meant to be a natural outflow of what God does for us from tasting and seeing that God is indeed good. No one writes a review of a restaurant before they go and eat the food, do they? No, they go and they taste the food and then they write a review. And if they write a five-star review, that's called praise. They're, they're publishing, they're, they're publicly publishing praise for this food, and, and that's not a burden to do. That's a delight to do. When you taste food that's so good, it's a delight to tell the chef. It's a delight to tell your friends. Praising God is the natural overflow of our true enjoyment of God. C.S. Lewis paints this well. He says this, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. No, the delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So God is calling us to respond to what He's done in our lives. That's what praise is. Praise is the response of truly seeing, beholding, tasting, and seeing God. And Psalm 98, where we are today, is one of those places in the Bible that the Bible compels us and passionately is stirring us up to praise God as the rightful being at the center of our lives. That our entire why is focused on God, to glorify Him and magnify Him because He is worthy. So I'm going to read Psalm 98, and then we'll go through it. Hear the Word of God. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's word. Thanks be 
to God. We're going to look at this this morning from two angles. The occasion for the praise and then the exhortation to praise. And again, the hope and the prayer here is that we go through this, as we unpack this text, that God would take one step closer. He's already there, but we would take one step closer in putting God at the rightful place in the center of our hearts. And that praise would come as the completion of that delight. Let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for your word today. Thank you that you are actively revealing yourself to us, actively revealing the glories of who you are in your Son, Jesus Christ, filling us with joy both now and forever. God, we pray that you would further reveal yourself to us today, making your salvation known to us. We pray that you would work it deep into our lives. God, that our service and our praise of you would not be mere ritual, but it would be authentic and it would be genuine response to having tasted and seen your infinite glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see this morning is the occasion for praise. After the psalmist opens up in this text, with these verbs to sing, to praise God. He then launches into this litany of reasons. Right? He's also not asking for praise that's somehow abstract or disconnected from our experience. No, he's given reasons. There's reasons here to praise God. He says, for God has done marvelous things. And that's, that's the exact same word for miracles or wonders. He's done miracles. We should praise God because He's done wonders. He's worked salvation by His right hand, His holy arm. And Him alone, the, the language here signifies that it is God's doing. It is His arm that has come. It is not our arm that's doing this. It's His and Him alone. And the language here for salvation is, is tied strongly to like battle language. Victory language that would be on the backside of a battle. So you put these things together and you see God has worked miracles. He's done it alone by His own strength. And that miracle has provided a victory for His people. That's why we are to praise God. And what might be the actual occasion for this praise? Well, we don't, we don't exactly know, but... Most, a lot of the language in this psalm, the scholars would say that it, it really goes uh, well with the Exodus language, that it's tied to Exodus language, which is the real experience, right? The psalmist is writing from experience on the backside of some deliverance, some miraculous deliverance. And likely it was the Exodus coming out of Egypt, enslaved by Pharaoh, burdened and oppressed by all the, the hard taskmasters of Egypt, Pharaoh himself. Or, some scholars say, well, this more closely resembles the Exodus coming out of Babylon. When, when God, or, or we saw in Exodus the miraculous leading out through Moses. In Babylon, we saw the miraculous leading out of Babylon by Cyrus, right? The foreign king. God speaks to Cyrus to let the people go back to the promised land. In both cases, there's miracles, there's wonders, and it's happening apart from the people. 
They are, they are in, in some way, they're active by faith, but in terms of their motion, like they are passive bystanders watching God deliver them. And they've got to, they've got to actively walk in the, the faith of that, trusting that, but they are watching God alone give them salvation. And so regardless whether, whether it's pointing to one of these exoduses or not, or some other, some other great battle that the psalmist faced, the point, is, the point is what these things are pointing to. Is you're pointing to the ultimate deliverance, the ultimate miraculous salvation that God would enact by His holy arm through His Son. This is the great miracle, the great battle, the great arm that was stretched out to save His people. Well, that all the battles in the Old Testament were pointing to the great moment of redemption and salvation when Jesus would live the life that we could never live and die for sinners, a substitutionary death. This is the miraculous battle that is won against Satan to transfer the saints out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That is us here today as on the backside of this battle. This is our experience. This is the experience of our deliverance. As the church, we identify here we were in that, in that grave with Jesus. We were on the cross with Jesus, and we're getting out of that grave with Jesus. This is our experience of deliverance. Enslaved to sin, under the wrath of God, and now through God's holy arm, by faith alone, He is bringing salvation and the reconciliation between man, sinful man, and holy God. If we believe that story, that story becomes our story. And that's our experience. And that's where this praise is supposed to be coming from. A, a true, authentic tasting and seeing this God saving us in this way and we responding in praise. Mary, the mother of the Messiah, likely had this psalm in mind as she's writing her song of praise that she, that she responds to when she sees God's salvation. In Luke 1.46, a few of these verses they sound very familiar to Psalm 98. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God has remembered his steadfast love, his covenant with his people. In the coming of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God is remembering his covenant. He's being faithful to his promise, to his people. Salvation has come from sin and bondage to Satan by God alone. And the joy of this is that we can enter in, again, by faith. And we as sinners, we're not even asking for it. We don't take credit for this. And that, that should be a joy to us. It's not a salvation we work. It's a salvation we believe in. We weren't even asking for this salvation. I love the language here with with Mary and in Psalm 98. This is a salvation that's been made known. 
It's been revealed. Spurgeon puts it this way. The Lord is to be praised not only for affecting human salvation, but also for making it known. For man would never have discovered it for himself. Nay, not so much as one single soul would ever have found out for himself the way of mercy through a mediator. In every case, it is a divine revelation to mind and to heart. God is the doer and the revealer of salvation through Christ. He's, he's revealed righteousness to us, right? We, we are sinners. And He opens up our eyes and He places faith in our hearts. We're born not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Praise God that He opens our eyes to behold and feast upon Him. And our text goes on that not only is Israel rejoicing, but the salvation or the nations are rejoicing in the salvation of God. Jesus rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He sends the, sends the Holy Spirit down on what we call Pentecost. And the nations are all praising God in their tongues. They are praising God. At that moment, the gospel is going to the nations. This is the fulfillment of Psalm 98. Fulfilled there, and it will be finally fulfilled in Christ's second coming. The multitude of tribes and tongues around His throne of glory, worshiping and praising Him. The whole earth will be praising Jesus at that time. And not only Israel and the nations, but also in our text today, we see that creation is praising God at that moment, which is breathtaking and it's a little bit weird, but it's what the Bible tells us. We, we learn about this in Romans 8, it says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. What we see here is that our sin did not have private consequences. It actually had a consequence along, uh, against the entire creation. All of creation was affected when we decided to worship ourselves and make ourselves the king, rejecting the worship of God, and the rule of God. Right now, creation itself, as, as beautiful as it is, and go see mountains and trees and woods and hills, it's beautiful. And as beautiful as it is, the Bible says that it's groaning. It's groaning in that state of beauty. Can we only imagine how beautiful and marvelous it's going to be when it's no longer groaning, when it achieves the freedom of the glory of the sons of God? That freedom is coming to creation, and in some sense, it's already beginning to praise its maker, its creator. The rivers are clapping, the trees are calling out, and one day they will do that in absolute freedom. It's a breathtaking picture of a completely renewed existence from humanity to creation. That day is coming. When Christ comes back, he will make 
all things new. And we wait now with patience in this wonderful hope. So that is the occasion for praise, this salvation, this eternal enjoyment of God and a new heavens and new earth. But what is the exhortation? And it's obvious and it's simple, and that is this, to praise. There's an occasion to praise, and the exhortation is to praise. God's not trying to He's not trying to trick us here. He's trying to be super obvious. The gospel is not supposed to be some crazy puzzle that we have to figure out. No, it's taste and behold, and God now asks just for natural worship. Just natural worship. Praise and worship. There's three verses in this psalm. It's broken up into three verses, beginning in 1, 4, and 7. And in the Hebrew, each of those verses begins with these verses. Verse 1 begins with sing, verse 4 begins with shout, verse 7 begins with roar. In other words, these are the defining words of the people's response having been saved. To sing, to shout, and to roar. That's us. That's what God is calling for us to be doing based upon His salvation. So, Creation is breaking forth into this vibrant, joyous, I mean, just rambunctious song and praise. And it's filling everything. There's clapping and trumpets. These trumpets symbolic of the shofar horn that would be blown at the year of Jubilee, where everybody is just praising God. Debts are being forgiven, and the life of God is being manifested in new and great ways. And there's multitudes of people. This is where we are going, and it's not boring. It's the most exciting, most exciting pinnacle of our existence is this type of worship. Global praise and worship to God. It's not boring. It's infinitely enjoyable. That's where we're going. There's sin and there's struggle in this broken life today, and so it is hard. We're entering in by faith into these promises of God. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not what God calls us to. God is calling us in the midst of struggle, real struggle, real pain, real brokenness, to praise Him. Right? It's, not, it's not about emotion. It's not about mere emotion. It's about deep affection of your heart, that your heart would be in a posture of, of enjoying God in the midst of suffering. You are my portion forever. Everything else goes away in this life. God, you are it. I value you above all things, above even my physical life. So this year, as we, as we move into 2021, what are we praising? What is at the center of our praise? What is at the center of our why? <laughs> this world is not worthy it's not worthy to bear the burden of us placing salvation upon it. It's not worthy of praise. It will fail. God alone will never fail us. God alone is worthy of our praise because He will satisfy us forever. We might not all be singers, but we must all be worshipers. God is after our worship. Will we worship Him in 2021? 
Christmas is what gives us the real reason to worship. Christ has come and he will come again. The challenge for us is to enter in by faith to truly experience salvation so that our praise and our uh, religious exercises would not be merely uh, ritual. It would not be mere external, but it would be the natural outflow of a heart that's satisfied in God. Not contrived, not manipulated, not fabricated, but deep, genuine, authentic response. This also allows us to look back into 2020 with praise in our hearts. Deep grief in our hearts. But because of Jesus coming, there's praise that can be there. Yes, 2020 has felt like a year from hell. But yes, Jesus has overcome the grave. And He's using all things for His glory and for our joy. Yes, it has been a difficult year. But yes, He's on His throne. This year didn't surprise Jesus. He planned this year. He planned to allow these things to happen this year. And He's good in that. We may not understand it. We don't understand it. But we can believe by faith. He's God. And there's a reason to praise Him for 2020. God, you're doing a million things on this planet that that we're not privy to. And it's all good. It's all for Your glory. And You're sanctifying us and if anything, hopefully, God, you're, you're, you're pulling the claws of our fingers off of this world so that we can find treasure in a hope that is far beyond this world. So we look back. Sure, we grieve. We mourn it. But we can praise God for it. And we can face 2021 with confidence. What does 2021 have to offer us? More coronavirus? More death? More disease, more shutdowns, more economic downturn, more job loss, more depression, more anxiety. What do you have for us 2021? Probably a lot of that. And as the church, we can stare at that in the face and we can say, bring it on. Bring it on. You can come, but you will not have me. Because we as the church are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. We are stronger than the coronavirus. We are stronger than our sin and our temptation because we are in Christ. Christ is in us the hope of glory. That kingdom cannot be shaken. So we can enter into 2021 with confidence. Should we even die? God, you're magnified, and you're good. And that death is not stealing our joy. It's just a stepping stone to it. Praise God for what he's done in Christ and what he will do in Christ. This is our hope as the people of God. Yeah, we're going to struggle. Yeah, we're not going to make God the center of everything in 2021. But he's going to forgive us. And that is our hope, and that is our trust. I love how Isaac Watts, he quoted a lot of this. 
verse, uh, Psalm 98, into his famous song, Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Praise God for his glory. Praise God for his infinite glory that has been displayed to us through Christ his Son, living and dying for us. Praise God for his grace. May we now live for God's glory. He has purchased us. He has bought us. And he is infinitely good and worthy of our worship. May he and him alone be at the center of our why. Why do we exist? Why do we face 2021? For him. For him and his glory and his fame across all the globe. May we be a people this year to feast on and to respond in authentic praise to our God for what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we exalt you and we praise you now, God. We're called up into praise, God, through this psalm, through your text, God. We, we may not feel that we are there. And we're asking you even now, God, to, to give us the faith that we may at least take a step closer to your throne. That your praise would be worked deeper into our hearts. God, that we would love you with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul. We praise you, God, that you have given us an eternal reason to praise you. May praise be on our lips and may praise be the fragrance of our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.